Coming to you from Beaumont, this is your house call. I recently learned of a young woman who decided to give home genetic testing a try using a popular at-home testing kit. Like millions of others before her, she was interested in learning about her ancestry and her heritage, and she was also interested in what sorts of useful medical insight she might gain from having this test. She exported her genetic data to a third-party genomics company that linked her genetic code to a database of particular medically relevant genes. The idea behind doing this was so that she could see if she harbored any known medical predispositions or conditions. To her surprise, the testing showed that there was a couple of important hits. She was told that she had a gene mutation linked to Lynch syndrome, which is a rare condition associated with high rates of colon and endometrial cancer. She also learned that she had a higher risk of a particular type of heart condition that increases the risk of abnormal cardiac rhythms and sudden cardiac death. Shocked and dismayed, she decided to get a second opinion with a genetic counselor. Now, the story has a happy ending. Repeat testing was done and it did not show that she had any evidence of either of these gene mutations from her home testing kit. The results were just a false positive. The story also serves as an important cautionary tale about home genetic testing. And in today's podcast, we're going to learn more about home genetic testing, including its potential benefits and its flaws. Hello and welcome to the Beaumont House Call Podcast. I'm Dr. Nick Gilpin. Today we're talking about home genetic testing with our guest, Dr. Dana Zakalik. Dr. Zakalik is a medical oncologist and an expert in cancer genetics at Beaumont Hospital. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Zakalik. Thank you and great to be here. It's great to have you in the studio. May I call you Dana? Absolutely. So Dana, I want to have you talk to me a little bit about yourself. How did you arrive at cancer genetics as your chosen field of expertise? Well, I um, am a medical oncologist with a subspecialty in breast cancer, and I, uh, during my training, um, spent a number of years doing basic science research, looking at genes that cause cancer, genetic expression within different cancers, and gene regulation. So with that background, um, I came to Beaumont, and I uh, built very rapidly a, a breast cancer practice that segued very nicely to the advent of genetic testing for the BRCA1 and 2 genes. And I was asked, because of my extensive background in genetics, to uh, put together a uh, clinical testing program at Beaumont that was uh, at the cutting edge of genetic risk assessment for breast cancer risk. And at the time, that really revolved around BRCA1 and 2. But more recently, that field has expanded tremendously to looking at genes that cause multiple other cancers, including colon, uh, uh, thyroid, um, other types of newer breast cancer genes, as well as many other genes that are thought to be hereditary. Tell me, who exactly should be getting genetic testing? So the individuals who qualify for genetic evaluation and possibly genetic testing are people with young onset cancer, particularly young onset breast or colon or endometrial cancer. But really, if someone has a cancer diagnosed under age 50, and that could include prostate cancer as well, they should talk to their physician because they likely qualify. And then there's a family history component also. Any individual with a significant family history of multiple individuals, regardless of the age, if there are multiple of a similar cancer, like multiple people with breast cancer, colon cancer, mm. or combination of breast ovarian, breast endometrial. And now, as of 2018, anyone with metastatic prostate cancer, based on recent data showing a strong link to genetic causes, the current guidelines uh, that we have in our big uh, NCCN guidelines 
uh, panel say that every prostate cancer patient who's metastatic qualifies for genetic testing. So as you can see, there are multiple different ways to get a referral. I would recommend patients talk to their physician. If they have any of the things I mentioned or possibly other factors, they may be eligible. So speak to your physician about whether you qualify. Why with someone with metastatic prostate cancer, why is that in and of itself an indication for genetic testing? We have some very exciting data that has come out in the last year that, first of all, individuals with metastatic prostate cancer are unselected for any other factors, including any other family history, just having advanced metastatic prostate cancer. The yield of genetic testing approaches 11%. In 11% of those patients, we found a genetic mutation. The reason, furthermore, that that is so exciting is we have new targeted agents that actually are specific for those genetic mutations in patients with ah. prostate cancer. So there's a lot of very exciting, inter uh, interesting work being done in the research arena, looking at targeted therapies for genetically linked prostate cancer. Furthermore, we've just recently had an uh, FDA approval for uh, BRCA-related metastatic breast cancer, in addition to the prior FDA approval for ovarian cancer targeted therapies in patients who have BRCA mutation. Uh, so as you can see, the general theme now is not just early detection and prevention, but the treatment benefits. Exactly, which is really exciting. That is exciting. That's interesting stuff. I want to go back to the story I talked a little bit about in the opening about the young lady who decided to try a home genetic testing kit. Um, obviously, that story had a bit of an unfortunate twist, um, and I don't want to presuppose anything based on one example. So part of the conversation today, or most of the conversation today, is going to be about these home genetic test kits. First things first, I want to be clear that we're not implicating any specific brands um, or any specific manufacturers. I guess I could mention right now that there are lots of these home genetic test kits out there. There's, uh, there's 23andMe, there's Color Genomics, there's tons of others. 23andMe is getting a lot of attention right now because I think that their database boasts something like 5 million genotypes or 5 million customers. And they're also the, um, the company that most recently became FDA approved to provide direct-to-consumer testing for breast cancer gene mutations like BRCA1 and 2 that you mentioned just a minute ago. Do you want to talk about BRCA1 and 2 for just a second? Yeah, BRCA1 and 2 are the most uh, um, talked about genes um, that cause hereditary risk of breast cancer. They were identified in the mid-90s. They are what we call high penetrance genes. That means that they significantly increase risk of breast as well as other cancers, particularly ovarian cancer. They're probably the most studied, well-studied genes uh, because they were identified in the early advent of hereditary risk assessment. Mm. Um, we know that they're more common in certain ethnic populations, including Ashkenazi Jews, where uh, close to one in 40 uh, individuals of that ancestry may carry a mutation in a BRCA1 or 2 gene. Um, we've learned a lot about uh, the nature of the types of cancers that BRCA mutation carriers uh, have. We know Angelina Jolie, for example, is, mm -hmm. is one of the uh, outspoken uh, pu public faces of BRCA, so many more people are aware about BRCA1 and 2. However, I would say, say that uh, happily in the last few years, there are a number of other genes that have been identified as also having an important uh, role in hereditary risk. And so now we have the capacity to understand in a more uh, broad base, w whether it's just BRCA or some other genes. So BRCA is sort of the forerunner, if you will, and there are more recently multiple other genes that can cause breast cancer as well. So the first question I want to ask as we start to segue into um, home genetic testing is the, the, the 30,000 feet question, which is more and more home testing genetic kits available. 
is this a good thing? Is this a, a not good thing? You know, where, where do we stand on this? What's your opinion? You know, I think that it's very important to know that genetics and genetic risk assessment is complicated. And I think in as much as having all these kids out there raises awareness about the importance of knowing your family history and knowing that indeed there are genes that can increase one's risk of cancer, and it's important for us to think about that and seek proper evaluation. On the other hand, I think at this point there's no substitute for having uh, access to genetic professionals, um, such as genetic counselors or physicians with expertise in genetics, to properly take a family history, to properly assess which genes are relevant, which specific type of muta mutations are significant versus less so, less so in each family. So uh, this is a very complicated area that is really uh, changing almost every month right now. We have new information about new genes or how to assess genetic risk uh, in, an, in a family. So it's very, very complicated. It has very important ramifications for what happens in a family in terms of screening and prevention. There's a growing array of screening tests that are out there that actually can prevent cancers, which is huge. And also now this has an impact on therapeutics. We are actually starting to treat cancers based on genetic or genomic information. So because of all that complexity and the wide uh, implications of having the correct answer, I cannot emphasize enough the importance of seeing genetic professionals having this type of evaluation done in the context of proper pre- and post-test genetic counseling and making sure that there's proper oversight of the various genetic tests that are out there, which I think right now we can all agree that uh, using a home kit uh, somehow bypasses the, the normal uh, recommended process of genetic counseling pre and post by professionals who understand this, and also proper oversight, if you will, to make sure that the genes that are being tested really are relevant for that patient. Is there an upside are there pros to home genetic testing? You know, I think that one can one can surmise that um, having greater access to genetic testing is a good thing. Mm. Um, not everybody has a genetic counselor in their area. People who live in communities where there is no access to genetic services, um, more remote parts of this country where you can't access a genetic counselor or, or, or an actual program that many of the academic centers have. Sure. Um, so therefore, some degree of greater access is a good thing. But you want to balance access to complex technology with making sure that technology is applied properly in the right setting with the proper interpretation. Because as your example that you stated earlier uh, underscores, having a false positive or having a result that may have tremendous implications and then finding out that actually it's not there, that patient could have potentially wanted to have a preventative hysterectomy, which is what we sometimes offer to patients for Lynch syndrome, where they, upon completion of childbearing to lower that risk, may actually do preventative mm -hmm. surgery. Had that happened before the patient had a chance to have uh, confirmatory testing, would have potentially had devastating circumstances. No, complete so I think there's a plus and a minus that has to be weighed very carefully by our society. Is there a, a, a cost advantage, perhaps? Uh, you know, a home testing kit might cost you, you know, $100 or $200 versus having a more formal uh, genetic evaluation? I think early on in the days of genetic testing, one could have made that argument. However, as with all technology, the price of genetic testing has significantly decreased. Hmm. So that differential right now essentially doesn't exist. Uh, oh, we are right. able to offer multi-gene panel testing 
in the context of pre and post-test counseling with the right genes and the right vetting process, essentially for a similar price that these home kits uh, uh, cost. So that advantage is really no longer there uh, because the price has dropped so significantly that for $200, $250, we can do that testing as well. And I'm going to go on on a limb here a little bit because I, I, I have to confess this is, this is not my area of specialty or expertise. However, um, I will surmise that doing testing in your uh, office, doing cancer genetic screening, you're going to be using tests that are much more reputable. You're going to be using tests that have quality controls versus some of these home genetic testing kits. I don't think I get a sense that these are very well regulated or, or very reputable in some ways. Is that fair? Yeah, that's a very true statement. As a matter of fact, one of the most important tenets of genetic testing, and several societies have published the important components of proper genetic risk assessment that need to be in place, not the least of which is informed consent. Patients have to consent to having genetic testing done, and that has to be done in an informed fashion. That means they have to understand what these genes do, what we're testing for. Oftentimes, patients may not even understand that they're being tested for certain genes that could have significant implications. When patients meet with a genetic counselor, we go through all the relevant information that is part of the informed consent process, and that's mandated by law that patients give informed consent. You don't want a situation where a patient finds out they have a gene mutation that they perhaps did not want to know about, that they perhaps were not properly prepared to receive that information. We also have to, as part of the informed consent process, touch upon the implications of being found to carry a gene mutation for you and your family. Patients have to understand that some of these genes may lead us to conversations about preventative surgery, preventative medications. They have to know about the limitations, and they also have to understand that the genetic testing process is not perfect, and that sometimes we may get results that are not informative. A result called a variant of uncertain significance means there could be a change in your gene, but we don't have enough information to know whether it's pathogenic or not. And so not all changes within our genome are actually actionable, are, are, are leading to risk of cancer. And, and that's why... It, as important as having access to testing is making sure that patients are engaged in the process, give informed consent, and that we can actually analyze the results in a proper way because sometimes the results are complicated. They may be prone to different interpretations by different laboratories. So how do we reconcile if one laboratory calls a certain mutation pathogenic and another laboratory says, no, it's, it's an unknown or it's likely benign? We have to make clinical decisions, and that's why we, we have a clinical testing program in addition to having a, a large database that we can then learn something about for the future, offering our patients participation in clinical trials, but it's also very important to make sure that the clinical recommendations are really in line with what the result we have, and, and the patient is part of the process of understanding that no result is perfect. There may be false negatives. Mm. There are regions of the genome that may not be easily accessible to the testing process, and so then we have to look at the family history and what the clinical picture uh, tells us about a family. So as you can see, there are multiple different facets of genetic the counseling and the informed consent process and making sure the patient makes a true best decision for, their, for themselves and their family. Let's talk now about the difference between the types of testing um, that is offered through a clinic such as yours versus the type of testing that's done in, in a home genetic testing kit. What, what are the, on the surface, the differences between the two? So the, the testing kits um, typically do not test for whole genes. 
and they don't necessarily test for genes that are related to a specific hereditary cancer risk syndrome. So the 23andMe test only looks at very limited portions of the BRCA1 and 2 genes that are linked to people in, of Ashkenazi Jewish ancestry. So while there are over a thousand different mutations that are in BRCA1 or 2, you're only looking at three that are only relevant for a very, very small segment of the population, those of Ashkenazi Jewish ancestry. Whereas if you do testing through a clinical program, you're looking at genes that are relevant for that patient's family history. You're looking at a much more expansive view of the genes that can cause cancer. Um, typically, we uh, like to do a blood sample, which seems to be very most reliable, whereas a lot of these home kits use saliva mm. uh, samples. And um, but, but it's really the extent of testing. The home kits look at something called single nucleotide variation uh, or single nucleotide po polymorphism SNPs. called SNPs, mm -hmm. which is not a way to look at the entire gene of question. So you have a much more limited look at these genes and really you, you're not looking at the whole complement of genes that can cause hereditary risk to a specific cancer. Hmm. I'm hearing little upside and, and quite a bit of potential downside for anyone who might decide that they want to go down the road of doing home genetic testing. That being said, I, I have a, a hunch that someone out there is listening and they're saying, well, I, I hear what you're saying, Dr. Zaklik. I'm, I'm still, I find myself intrigued. Maybe I have a personal family history of, of, uh, of cancer, or maybe my mother had breast cancer, and I want to know, you know, do I have this gene or not? I just want to take this test. It's right here. It's on the shelf at the drugstore. You know, how should I approach this? What's the practical approach? Well, the answer for that patient is I think it's a very important, they're asking a very important question. I think we should be asking ourselves whether our family history warrants genetic testing. But what I would tell that patient is that when they purchase a home kit, at this point, many of these home kits do not have comprehensive testing at, with the state-of-the-art genetics that we know about. Uh, as an example, the 23andMe kit was FDA approved to only look at the BRCA1 and 2 genes and only the portions of the BRCA1 and 2 genes that are relevant for individuals of Ashkenazi Jewish ancestry. That means you are getting far from comprehensive genetic testing because most individuals are not of Ashkenazi Jewish ancestry. That's a very small percentage of our population. And furthermore, not only do we look at BRCA, but we should be looking at some of the new growing list of uh, breast cancer genes that are not part of 23andMe. So if I take this test and it says negative for BRCA1 and 2, I really don't know that I am in fact negative for BRCA1 and 2. Is that, am I interpreting that correctly? That's exactly correct. Hmm. As a matter of fact, you're only looking at the three so-called founder mutations that are relevant for Ashkenazi Jewish individuals. There are over a thousand mutations in BRCA1 and 2 genes. So you're really capturing only a portion of what you should be looking for. And then you're not looking at all the newer genes, which are now the subject of tremendous amount of research and excitement that also cause uh, uh, hereditary risk of breast cancer. So in essence, a patient could be getting a false sense of security if they're negative, thinking that they were tested for breast cancer genes, when indeed they were tested for genes that may not even relate to their ancestry, and they're not being tested for all the new genes, which are now occupying a, a vast amount of our testing process. Hmm. Upsides getting smaller and smaller, downsides getting bigger and bigger. Um, I want to play devil's advocate for just a second. Uh, if this test is done properly, uh, it, it seems like there is a potentially harmless side to home genetic testing. And, and let me qualify that. For instance, 
if I want to know what my ancestry is, if I want to know where my ancestors came from, if I want to know if I am prone to something like lactose intolerance, or if I want to know that I'm prone to being a caffeine consumer, all the different things that they advertise in these commercials for home genetic testing, uh, I don't really see that there's a tremendous harm in that. I mean, to me, wanting to know what your ancestry is is is, is an interesting thing and without a lot of downside. If you kind of keep it on a, on a more basic level, the downsides are, are for sure real when you start to get into cancer genetics and, and things like that, as such as the horror story that I shared in the opening. But if it's done the right way, you could get some information that is harmless. And also, if we foster this, this industry in the right way, this could be a promising tech industry in the future that could have major potential benefits. So I guess in my, my very long-winded question, what I'm trying to say is, are we being a little bit too paternalistic um, or cautionary with home genetic testing? What are your thoughts? So I think you raise a, a important point, and I think I have to underline the statement done the right way. Um, so done the right way has to uh, mean that it's the test is reliable, they're testing for the right genes, they're able to interpret the result properly, and then give proper advice or send the patient to a genetic counselor or a physician with sufficient expertise to make the right recommendations. So I think if all those caveats are met, I think that there's a potential for greater access to genetic testing, which is always a good thing. I think expanding knowledge and giving patients more autonomy over their health care, I think those are all good things. Absolutely. Um, but I think we have to make sure that, that it's done the right way, which has all the caveats that we just talked about, accuracy, interpretation, informed consent, management, making sure the right genes are included. So I think if we could create a perfect world where these tests are done, perhaps for the conditions where, for which this is achievable, you know, conditions where uh, the, the testing encompasses all the known genes or loci in the, geno in the genome that cause this particular condition, and the patient has access to physicians or healthcare providers that can then deal with those results, I think yes. I think that there could be positives that result from this. I think cancer is a little more tricky because it's yeah. more complicated. There are more genes. The variants um, are often uh, subject to misinterpretation. And then the management right now, I can tell you, even in our clinic where we have um, multiple genetic counselors and those of us who do this on a regular basis, we still struggle with what is the best way to manage certain cancer risks because we don't have all the evidence yet. So I think in the proper context for some conditions, done the right way, it could be a good thing. I think for other conditions which are more complicated, I think we have to still, uh, we have a long way to go. Are you seeing a lot of fallout from these types of home genetic tests? Are you seeing a lot of patients being referred to you because they had a positive test for X, Y, or Z? And you're sort of doing damage control. Yes, we, we definitely have seen some patients who come in confused. They don't know what to do. They don't know if it's real. We always, by the way, have to do confirmatory testing. You never want to, these tests are not approved for clinical decision making at this point without confirmatory testing. And certainly the recent examples of false positives underscore that point. So we've had more and more phone calls about this. I wouldn't say we're inundated with them. My fear is that patients may not be looking at the results carefully. Um, the result, if, you're, if you've seen one, is complicated. It's many pages, mm -hmm. small print. Sometimes it's unintelligible. I mean, that's yet another challenge. Patients aren't always calling the number to get the explanation. So I would say we're getting a modest number of patients. Uh, we may get more and more since the FDA approval just came recently. 
Um, and, and definitely we are more than happy to talk to patients and provide proper clinical testing of the right genes when patients come in. So this is my buyer beware moment. Um, I'm going to sort of try to synthesize some of what we talked about today. If I'm interested in doing a home genetic test, for whatever reason that may be, and I do the test, and it says I, I have no concerning genes for any types of cancer, I have no BRCA1 and 2, like we talked about a moment ago, that doesn't necessarily mean that I don't have that risk. It still could be there. The test just may not have tested for that specific gene, or it may have missed something. The flip side is, if I am interested and I decide to do this test, I could get an answer that says that I am at greater risk for certain types of cancer. And of course, that's going to provoke a lot of anxiety, but the test could be wrong. It could be a false positive. So in almost either one of those scenarios, I'm still probably better off seeking the advice of a professional and going to a genetic counselor such as yourself or such as your, your office. Is that correct? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. I think that um, the fear I have is if you did this test and you didn't have anything, you could still be at increased risk. You're yeah. certainly at, at average risk. You're, you may be above average. A false sense and of security. So, exactly. Yeah. And I think right now with the greater advent of better screening, whether it's breast cancer, prostate, colon cancer, there's actually much that we can offer patients for early detection and save lives. So getting this test and thinking that you're negative may give a person a sense that they don't need to seek medical expertise. So I would still encourage everyone to talk to their doctor, decide whether they qualify for genetic evaluation, be aware of current screening, and make sure that this is all um, encompassed as part of a physician or a healthcare uh, evaluation process, which is really still the gold standard. Absolutely. Thank you for that. That's about all the information uh, that we have time for today. I want to thank Dr. Dana Zakalik for coming on the podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. Great to have you. Um, do you want to tell us uh, if there's any more information you want to share or if there's a, a website or a link that you want to give us where we can find more information about this? Yes. Um, so one can always find uh, access to your nearest genetic counseling program by looking at the website for National Society of Genetic Counselors, as well as the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services has on its website access to genetic services within the state of Michigan that have board-certified genetic counselors and physician experts in genetics. Wonderful. Thank you. And before we leave, I want to remind you to share any questions you might have with our email address, which is podcast at beaumont.org. On a future episode, Dr. Asha Shah Jahan and I will answer our mailbag. With that, I would like to leave you today with this healthy thought. As we continue to see major technological advances in medicine and beyond, access to things like home genetic testing may become more and more common. Learning about your genes can be fun and exciting, but it also inevitably will bring up questions. Anticipate the questions and know where to get the best and most reputable information available to you. Don't be afraid to discuss with your physician or with a genetic expert if you have questions or concerns or if you think genetic testing might be right for you. Thank you.